4: Hey, listeners, just a heads up at the beginning of this episode, this is a trigger warning for sexual assault.
0: How
1: about, how about uh, we do upon on 110th Street? No, oh, it's like, it's across 110th Street. I had no idea. Until the subtitles of Watching Jackie Brown Across 110th Street. That is the only line I know That's the of this line song. I know, It's such a good song. And every time I forget, watching Jackie Brown Across from 110th Street has been stuck. In my head for days. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Are we talking about exploitation Cinema's first female action hero? Yes, we are. Welcome to the episode on Pam Greer. Man,
0: she had a rough go she of it. She
1: has, she, there, um, there are reasons behind how amazing of an actress as well as how angry of a person she was. And you know what? She did it well Through the black exploitation years as well as afterwards, and she brought her amazing performances. Not only exploitation, but sexploitation films as well. Oh, yes, 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 yes. And you know what? She looked great while doing it. And unfortunately, it came from drama. And we will deal with that. But first, let's gush about this amazing female action hero.
0: You know, I don't think I really yeah, I never really went through my like black exploitation 70s cinema phase. I think I think it was something more that I learned about academically in like a film class in college more than anything else, but I sure as hell Still in my Tarantino phase, and so of course when Jackie Brown first came out, I think I actually ended up seeing it on VHS. I didn't see it in the theater, and I think like a lot of people, it's that Tarantino movie that is oddly overlooked. I think at first, and then you go back and watch it again. It's so it's
1: so good. fucking good.
4: <laughs> it's so I have good. a Dark Confession to make. Fun. I like this. Can we all
1: have Dark Confessions? Yeah. I've got Dark yeah.
4: Confessions too. All right, you yeah. start. Okay. Uh, so I love. Pam Greer very much. And I know her more so from the 70s, 60s uh, exploitation movies because I love, I'm a big Jack Hill fan. Dark Confessions. And I also love Quentin Tarantino uh, very much. I know he gets under people's skin, but he's one of my favorite filmmakers. And uh, Gotta love those feet. I had never Dark seen Jackie Brown. <laughs> wow. Wow. Dark Confessions. Dark Confessions. Not how, until now. How fun was it? It was fun. Transcendent. <laughs> it's pretty great. I don't know why I never saw it. I, I think it just came out in a year where I wasn't paying attention. Again, it was
0: weirdly overlooked. Like Tarantino was on fire at that point in his career, too. He puts out this movie that I guess was understated compared to maybe Pulp Fiction. It was more in the right. genre. And it was just a
4: couple years after Pulp Fiction.
1: Yeah, it had this noir vibe.
0: It's sort of exploitation meets film noir. Well, I feel
1: like it was also one of those things that. Like with Mars Attacks, another Pam Greer movie that when people went to go see it, they thought that it was going to be more like Independence Day. And so therefore were let down. And I think that Quentin Tarantino had such crazy, violent, over-the-top and yet weirdly grounded movies, that this movie, I remember seeing it in high school and thinking it was boring. It's kind of hard to It's very delicate compared to his other stuff. It's hard
0: to, and I think it came right on the heels of Pulp Fiction. Am I right? It's about three years later. So nothing was going to... Let, Beat c- Pulp compared to Pulp Fiction and, and and the I think the audience's mind And so it's aged very much like a fine wine. That Ugh. is one of my favorite Tarantino movies now. Oh I my think God. it's just It's
1: so,
4: so good. And so it's still, there's still violence in it, but it's not to the level of some of his other films. Um, and man, is she just so ethereal and so... Strong in this movie And just I love her character So much Strong
0: but with But the vulnerability Comes through Which it, it actually Adds to the strength I yes. think That's oh my what's God. so great De About De Niro,
4: her And De Niro and that Yes s- Like loser scumbag jail guy he's so good everybody's so good everybody's so so good good
0: in it the the dialogue's amazing that whole final sequence is just fantastic and a sweet love
4: story on top of everything totally
0: it really is such a cool such a cool film and uh, such such an awesome story for her to get
4: to I know not for nothing in the 90s women in their 40s and 50s weren't getting to do roles like this no. so i mean she is such a badass queen under in any age but she was almost 50 when she shot this and she is just the coolest
0: yeah oh, such
4: a powerhouse that
0: hair too when oh she just my like god. lets the hair out in the um in that film oh my god she's just amazed. she yeah She is incredible, and then it was cool to go back and watch Coffee and delve into uh, her her early uh, era of film. Well,
1: especially watching them now with with knowing the background Uh of
0: her story. Makes a lot, adds so much more.
1: Adds so much more depth. To what she and also knowing that she was studying Stanislavski and was and was reading the Strasbourg and and was learning all of these because she didn't want to just be an action star. She wanted to be a star, even though she's an, uh, the best action. Yes, star? Yeah. and on her own terms. But then goes
0: off and does theater, sold mm-hmm. out Sam Shepard play because performances. I, thought,
1: I was like because there was such this time period between the black exploitation movies and. Jackie Brown and the L word. And I was like, no, if you look at her, her filmography, as well as her, the theater years that she, she has been working her ass off her entire yeah, life. Yeah. 100%. She even said that there's a quote that she's like, my career is older than lots of people. Well, that's <laughs>
4: true. And it's, it's hard to, sometimes you forget her that she's been around for so long because she always seems so, Uh, like vital and vivacious and full of life that you just feel like oh she's just she's pretty young probably but when you go and read her story you realize I mean she was born in 49 she grew up in the worst of segregation and and had to experience that and man I didn't really think about it in that way until I read her
1: book and also generations of strong black female frontiers women. Mm-hmm. She described her great-grandmother as a black calamity Jane. Mm-hmm. The the like she comes from generations of badass women. She is not the first in her fucking family, which is part of the reason why the issues that she had at a young age, she felt she couldn't talk to her family about it because she knew that they would hunt them down yeah. and kill them. <laughs> and she didn't want to destroy her family. Right. Yeah. Because, because they were
4: on top of anything else, they would be charged, you know, with being black in that time. Uh, yes. They would have probably been killed by cops or something. Uh, you know? Yeah. Like it easily. would have just been a death wish for everybody.
1: And I do love this quote to start it off um, from Warrington Hudlin, who is a producer and the president of the black filmmaker foundation. Miss Greer's black exploitation films are now considered groundbreaking for their depictions of powerful black women. It took Miss Greer's winning combination of sex, sass, and talent to pull it off. She exists in the American imagination in a way that is permanent. She represents a self-reliant, dynamic female figure that doesn't have to forego femininity for potency for militant. Power because that was part of what I think is so interesting is when people ask her, like, "Did you feel exploited did you and she 's like, "No, that is part of my power. My body is a large part of my power as well as my brains Absolutely. as well as how I fight as well as everything else. That is where she gets some of her power from, and she didn 't feel like it was being used in an exploitive way
4: right it, and that is one of the big conversations around exploitation films because there 's a certain sect of feminists who would say that this is anti-feminism or this is yeah, exploit, exploiting women, but somebody who's worked in indie film and, and to an extent exploitation stuff. In most surroundings, the women actually hold quite a bit of power in those in those movies behind the scenes as well as on screen. And they're doing
1: if the people things, are being respectful, if sure. it is done in, in the right way. And that's way. not
4: always the case, of course. Right. But a lot of times, mainstream movies will actually be much shittier to women than those, those, you know, those... It, I don't know if you, people out there have seen Jack Hill movies. I love them. Uh, there's the big birdcage, the big dollhouse, right. Pam Grier's in both of those. Oh, uh, there's
0: women in cages, Women in prison, films. yeah.
4: And so it's very sexual. It's very... Um, there are scenes that make you feel uncomfortable, but in a way, for certain people like myself, my feminism is feels stronger through seeing images like that because it is showing women in vulnerable places and then them taking charge in like filled with rage. So it's a feminism that I connect with. And it was something that I used to have huge debates with, uh, with other like women's um, studies majors at my college because – I would get into big art like fights with them because to to them the 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 sexual side of it in the you know the aughts of the two thousands it was not really they didn't really see sexuality as feminist and I always did and I always kind of stood behind that like if a woman to to say a woman is only sexual because she is. Um, imprisoned into to it be, yes is Is anti-feminism Because that's not why a lot of women do it
1: Well and Pam Greer goes on to say What the feminist movement was saying was to be Independent on your own And I realized that is what I was going to have to do No matter what trauma went on in my life Women could still survive And they must have independence and not be Codependent which is what society Was teaching women to be at the time And, and, and yeah. yeah
4: and some sorry I won't go on This fucking rant any longer but <laughs> You're allowed this <laughs> is where This is, how, this is where we're doing
1: here the platform
2: dark
4: confessions as we'll we'll learn through her story she experienced you know body trauma sexual trauma and some of us who've gone through that some of the power comes back to us by being able to do what we want with our bodies and sometimes that means showing our tits or or doing a, a sensual thing or doing a thing that isn't modest or proper and and that is taking the power back to your body and that that's not for every woman but or man but that is how some people
0: Thank you for including men as well. My body is my power as well. I'm
4: proud of you.
0: I'm proud of myself as well for saying that. Brave. So
4: my God, did you get? You're going to get an award.
0: Everybody can't wait to hear my hot takes on Pam Greer today, (laughs) and it's (laughs) just going to be so.
4: (laughs) You're welcome. Uh,
0: Ahead of time for my Pam Greer hot takes. Uh, No, no, no. I'll keep it clean. I promise.
4: No, you're doing good. (laughs) (laughs) I I can't imagine how scared you are right now. (laughs) I'm I'm a little frightened. Oh God! I want to say it.
1: I don't want to. Uh, I'm not going to say I had
0: a dream where a pair of tits chased me through an alleyway yeah. last night, but Ooh, I made that what may kind have happened. Tits? Um, big rounders.
1: Wow, that's kind of nice. <laughs> Do you, did you call your mother this morning? Is this is this I a called mother her issue? In the dream, I
0: called her the next day to apologize for calling her in the dream. As it was a should. whole situation. She's very groggy and upset right now. But either way, getting into the uh, the life and legacy of Pam Greer, we start with her birth, 1949 in Winston Salem, North Carolina. Uh, She was born as Pamela Suzette Greer. Her mother was a homemaker and nurse. Her father was a mechanic and technical sergeant in the United States Air Force and has a sister and a
1: brother. I will also say she was very close to her extended family as well. And she says, my grandfather was the first feminist in my life from Wyoming who taught all of us girls how to hunt, fish, and shoot. So I could bring that to every show I work on, every element, and it just kind of fit. He had this glow, this peace, and this unbelievable calm about him during the day after working sun up, sun sundown, doing some labor. And he was just so spiritual and enjoyed life. And he would always say, you know, if you wake up breathing, you're going to have a good day. And so that's been my mantra since I was a little girl. That's
0: fantastic. So her... Her father uh, is a military man, and this is going to be a thing that moves her around a lot and causes some issues. Um, so she was at one point in a military base in Swindon, England, and uh, this is where she receives her first bout of trauma. Um, she has a sexual assault by a group
1: of boys, right? Oh,
4: that was, that was not in England. That was... Um in America. She was, uh, she
1: was at her aunt's house. My B. And she was raped by two boys. And she says, It took so long to deal with the pain of it. She was, she was six years old. Six by years the way. old. She says, You try to deal with it, but you never really get over it. And not just me. My family endured so much guilt and anger that something like that happened to me. And this is something that was discussed in her book that came out not too long ago. Because again, she didn't tell her family. She kept it all quiet, which is why. She ended up it came out her trauma came out through a stutter, yeah, and she, she became stuttering, very afterwards. quiet and um, and also
0: very worried that being pretty or being sexy was quote a magnet for being attacked yeah.
4: yes and, 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 and yeah, can you imagine how would you deal with that at six years old yeah and, the, even the concept
0: of being pretty wasn't in my head at six years old, no, oh. and
1: so she had this stutter, and even as as a young girl, which it's interesting, a lot of the people I think that we do this show about have wanted to be in Hollywood since they were very small. And she was actually very shy, very quiet. And she said, my life is probably more dangerous and interesting than most of the movies I've done. But she said, when I was a young girl, I never thought of acting. I never thought of television, of fans, movie stars, signing autographs. It never crossed my mind. She wanted to be more possibly in the technical side of things, but eventually we'll learn. She goes to medical school. But part of the reason of how she overcame her stutter was by riding horses. Mm. She says, my grandfather, Daddy Ray taught me to be self-sufficient. One day I went alone to the pasture. See, this is a big part. She actually refers to this horse uh, in many of her interviews. She says, one day I went alone to the pasture and climbed a post fence to reach a huge draft horse. Big horse could have killed me. Instead, he moved slowly and I fell asleep on his back. When Daddy Ray and my uncle came looking for me, I told them big horse and I were just napping. For some reason, I didn't stutter when I was on the horse. And even to this day, she lives in Colorado and she, she has therapy horses that she trains. We'll get into that later on. But horses were a big and stunt work and starting eventually learning how to do that is what she used Mm -hmm. to help protect her from her emotional trauma. I don't know anything about that. I bet you don't (laughs) Natalie. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) She also was really
4: close. She's, she has a lot of connection to animals, which is something I also really relate to. one of the saddest things I read from that era in her life was it was a different time. So it wasn't exactly the same as now how people would feel about it. But she had a dog. That her dad – the dog tore a couch up and the dad was like, we can't have this dog. So they just took the dog and left it in a field. And she was literally traumatized. Like she was screaming and going like, don't – we can't – we can't – leave. how's the dog going to eat? Where's the dog going to go? This poor Cocker Spaniel was like connected – like bonded with her, I'm sure. And they just left (laughs) – the dog. Uh, I know the dog is not the most important part But I was like heartbroken when I read that part Of the vlog <laughs> The dog was just left in a field and she was devastated And the dog was probably devastated
1: Don't worry Auntie Jackie will come in later on And she works with uh, rescuing dogs Yeah, oh, very nice And she is called Auntie Jackie Okay I was I wondering I was like that. are you
0: just writing yourself Into <laughs> yeah, her it's story me, right it's now me.
1: That's my name <laughs> I, You know what I will say in watching Jackie Brown I did say that's my name Right quite a lot times. of course you would. And it was a very, it was. Great! I mean, Jeff he, loved it. You
4: gotta, you gotta claim that Jackie. That's, That's the right coolest
1: Jackie. So, do we get other than you? You're the coolest Thank
4: Jackie. Then Jackie Brown. Well,
1: I don't know. I think Jackie Brown is
0: So uh, th- she eventually ends up settling into Denver, Colorado uh, by high school, and starts appearing in several stage productions. Uh, and she also played organ and piano for the school's gospel choir. And I think that a lot of times when I read about people who develop a speech impediment at an early age, usually find a lot of, uh, or usually find a. Outlet through school theater and school stage productions to help totally. them work through that. Maybe that's kind of how she ended up just ending up in. Because as you said, she had very different interests. She ends up going to Denver's Metropolitan State College in 1967. She wanted to go into medicine, as Jackie mentioned. So she was in
4: pre med, yeah. which is crazy.
0: Yeah, like, and
4: she also just just before we get off her childhood, childhood real quick. Sure. Um, I found it really interesting and really relevant to who she is that. She had such an interesting life especially for being a, a black girl at at that era because her father could pass as white. Mm. They had a little bit more of an in in certain ways and mm. also he he traveled so much for the military that this girl who didn't come from money or 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 you know influence got to see a lot of the world and she actually and, and made me th- I didn't even think about it this way ever. Um she Experienced, of course, deep racism in America. But when she would go to Europe,
0: she'd see the other she, side. She'd see how it was. It not wasn't
4: there anyway. Right? Like not they were everywhere. They weren't. They didn't have. Even though the UK has its own problems, they didn't. Exp- they didn't see that in the same way that Americans treated Black people because they weren't dealing with the shame of the slave. The most so recent slavery that we're using. Like, oh, this doesn't
0: have to be a reality. Interesting. Yeah.
4: And then she would go back and forth. So she would, like, be fine. And then she'd go back to the States and be like, oh, yeah, they hate me for being alive here. I forgot. But she, like, learned how to adapt to all these different scenarios and situations. And I thought that was really interesting.
0: Speaking of adapting to a different scenario and situation, she now needs to raise tuition money in order to go to college after, I believe, her first year. She entered and got second runner up in the 1967 Miss. Colorado pageant, after which an agent approaches her and encourages her to pursue acting. So, you have a couple things going on here. A, she's clearly beautiful and regarded as such by the general population if she's winning second runner-up in a beauty competition. She also
1: won third in uh, the Miss Universe beauty pageant So, there you as well.
0: go. So, she's clearly, you know, has set apart as absolutely gorgeous. It's one of
1: her strengths, and I think that that is such a cool thing to look at that, what a strong young woman she was Mm -hmm. that even undergoing that trauma, because unfortunately she was sexually assaulted again at the age of 20, um, that, seeing her beauty not as a curse but realizing how can I own it and Mm -hmm. what can I use this for to further me as a strong human being
0: and second she obviously has that spark that thing that's going to make an agent approach her to pursue acting she's got this natural talent potentially and she does the thing that one should actually do in this situation it's so ballsy it's so difficult but she ends up moving to Los Angeles in 1968 she lives with her aunt and cousin for a stint while working as a receptionist and switchboard operator at the American International Pictures Studio. This is also
1: at the same time that she started doing Uh, backup singing for she got in with Bobby Womack and she also did a short stint of singing backup for uh, Sly and the Family Stone and Stevie Wonder at this time period. So she just went in and was like, I'm gonna work. Reminds me of
0: Elvira a little bit. Yes! yeah.
1: That she is a a woman of all trades. She's just,
0: yeah, singing, I'm sorry, is she a
1: Jackie of all trades? Oh my god, that's that's your fucking stupid name! (laughs) name. And at this point,
0: aunt, Aunt Jackie comes in and says, I'm gonna make you a Big star, yes, right?
1: Yeah, um, yeah. And she's immediately <laughs> a star, and she never has to worry about anything ever again for the rest of her life. And Aunt Jackie then just uses
0: magic powder on herself to disappear and return in a modern era. Is oh my god! Correct?
1: You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you for for her. Yes, That's I grace you. I grace Thank you. Thank you for
0: gracing us right now. This is so
1: amazing. Uh, but yeah, but she, in reality, she acts This is around the time she does meet Jack Hill.
0: Yes. Well, she 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 takes acting classes. She gets a role in 1969 in this exploitation film, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. This is directed by Russ Meyer, who is uh, a leader in the genre. I believe we've talked about Russ Meyer on Pop History before, but regardless,
1: I think we have. I forget for who. Yeah, but, but uh, also director Jack Hill is credited for discovering Pam Greer, mm. and he does say that the first time I met her was kind of on a what they used to call a cattle call of actresses coming in, and I had actresses reading in groups because I had an ensemble Cause film. Because they're cows. So, no, it was called the <laughs> Big Dollhouse. I mean,
4: basically, that's where cattle calls are. You're like, you fucking cows. Hey, hey all right, all come here. here.
0: Moo
1: like a... No. G- all
0: right, never they mind. They had
1: a cattle call for the Big Dollhouse, which is a woman in prison story, which kind of started that genre such as it was. And she just came in, and the role was not specifically written for a black character, but I was interviewing black actresses. And this was before the actual black exploitation movement started. But I just recognize something in her even though she had never done anything in film at all other than a walk-on in a russ meyer film and she just had what we used to call authority in my opinion and presence mm-hmm. so i gave her a chance and she came through just great and then after that i wrote scripts specifically for her as i got to know her abilities and made the most of them
0: All, all. So you've got yeah, the big dollhouse. You've got women in cages, the big bird cage, and Black Mama, White Mama. These oh
1: yeah, Black Mama, White Mama is awesome. But can I? This is crazy. So both of the movies, The Big Dollhouse and The Birdcage, were filmed in the Philippines. Oh yeah, I've heard some pretty fucked up stories Dude, about right. that. While she was there, <laughs> she contracted a deadly tropical disease that almost took her life. Oh my she god. She says it was some kind of virus or amoeba that went into my brain and paralyzed me. They were going to send me to Hawaii because they didn't know how to treat me. <laughs> Luckily, a doctor for the L.A. Rams who had previously treated Greer decided to quarantine her and then Try to freeze the infection to kill it. They literally wrapped her in bags of ice. Oh my god! She says, "I still think today something's going to come crawling out of me. <laughs> there was dangerous stuff down there. Those rice paddies were full of bacteria and leeches and larvae that will go into your eyes. I drank a lot of Jack Daniels <laughs> trying to kill it off. Yeah, those sets.
4: I've I've seen some pretty. I forget what the documentaries are called, but there's some really great Grindhouse um, mm-hmm. documentaries and." Those movies, they shot in the Philippines because there was literally no rules. She went temporarily
2: blind. (laughs) It was
4: in the jungle (laughs) in bikinis.
0: But one day in the jungle, a man named Uncle Holden appeared. Oh, and he was no. so big and he was so good that she said, I love you, Uncle Holden. And he said, you're welcome. And then he disappeared. Did you
1: become oh. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? Is <laughs> yes. that what happened? <laughs> That's right. I
0: made a mistake. I read Uncle Holden here. In fact, it was actually Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. This, this is around the time she gets pretty serious with him. Uh, he, uh, he, he His name was different uh, when they met. This is which kind of co- comes into play in the story. I forgot his original name. But while they're dating, he converts to... Islam and she while this is happening she's studying Gloria Steinem and the women's movement at the time (laughs) and so fundamentally they disagree on issues related to that as Muslim culture uh, had it uh, uh, via Kareem Abdul-Jabbar that you know she needed to be submissive and all these sorts of things and she wanted
1: to go back to school to get the education that she wasn't able to finish because this time period she's technically making money so she can go back to college she's doing this not because she wants to be a big star but to go back to college. And she even said like, when asked like, did you guys have anything in common? She's like, we love jazz. We loved sports. We're both inquisitive. I just didn't find Islam for me. She said,
0: but essentially it's one of those things where, I mean, this has kind of happened to me before, uh, where you're actually, it happened kind of with my drummer and my high school band, but, uh, where you're with somebody and then all of a sudden, like overnight, seemingly maybe because of like a trip to Mecca or whatever it is, (laughs) they get back and they're just like a different person. Yeah, Uh, And that's kind of what happened here, it seems like. Greer said, he wanted me to give up my life to show my love for him. He called me on my birthday to ask if I would commit to Islam. Wait a minute. Being under his success, being a wife of him, I'd lose my identity and my education. Can I
1: go on to say that the reason why he called her on her birthday to do this is because at 2 p.m. that day... He was going to be married to another woman who had converted to Islam for him. And she said he would keep the date unless Greer agreed to marry him and embrace his religion. So she said, he said, if you don't commit to me to become a Muslim, then I'm getting married this afternoon to someone else, a woman who has been prepared for me. She said, prepared like a sandwich? It <laughs> hit me like I was going to li- and and if if it hit me, me th- that I was going to lose my identity. But who am I to judge? So I said. I can't make you happy, that makes you happy, safe travels, yeah, and so this is not to disparage Islam,
4: no, at all. no. it's just it didn't work for her. for her, yeah,
0: yeah, totally, and it does kind of change the dynamic, I mean it is very important to you know you all being that cold?
1: out like I've had rough birthdays with partners before, <laughs> but I will say no one's ever called me up the morning of my birthday and said I had a woman. Prepared for me, no. unless <laughs> you decide you will prepare you yourself for dumped. me. That's I was dumped on my <laughs> just birthday, just once. On your yes, birthday. Yes, I have been dumped on my this birthday. Is more of a,
0: and it was Jeff, so maybe hit him up.
1: No, it wasn't, oh, no. All right, it wasn't Jeff. It wasn't Jeff. I'm just kidding. This, is more,
4: th- this situation is more <laughs> of a uh, favor to Islam because Pam Greer would have come in and just bulldozed. Been a, they, it would have been hard yeah. to put
0: Yes. So instead of converting to Islam, uh, she ended up making coffee in 1973. God, coffee's so good. It's so good. I
1: noticed she didn't have any salad when she takes <laughs> that salad bowl and throws it at the woman, and then they just start a
0: kid throwing oh, a yeah, salad maybe. on a bitch is my favorite move. Throw that a is-
1: salad on her.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it was, of course, written and directed by Jack Hill, and it really puts her on the map as an actress, albeit in a very specific, not so revered genre by like the. F- Snooty people, but whatever at this time
1: period, she was noted as the first African American female to headline an action film, which it, like because as protagonists of previous black exploitation films were males, so she in the genre, which technically had not been called the black exploitation movement yet, was the first female action star.
0: Yes, in fact, she kind she says that it really didn't become black exploitation until she started to until a woman started doing right. it, and then they had to like put it in a bottle, whereas before it was just. Just like a Black lead in an action movie situation, uh, at least according to her. It's very interesting her opinion on the genre. The genre in general is very fascinating. This time in '70s cinema is very fascinating because it's like what's bad, what's actually empowering and good. You know what I mean? What's mm-hmm. taking advantage of the? It's very, it's very sticky and fascinating. Yes, and I love her opi- her takes. And we've got some good quotes about it coming. Oh but.
1: yeah, but e- like even the, one of the questions was: Given your personal history, was it hard to act in movies that often featured the threat of sexual violence? She said, it's in a lot of exploitation films, sure. But by being nude in those movies, I was trying to help men understand. Society created this mystery about the vagina, the breasts. When you create a mystery, people want to see it mm. and attack it if they can't have it. So I was like here's the mystery, I hope I bore you and you'll never get a hard-on again. <laughs>
4: yeah, no, uh, rape culture definitely is connected to puritanical thought a lot of the time, even though it's it's pushed on the idea like, oh, women are too just too, they asked for it, and the men can't help. It's like, no, you push the idea of you can't, be aroused, and then it becomes this dirty thing, and then you're, like, suddenly a piece so, of shit.
1: So, Ugh, the Duggars, Ugh.
0: So, oh, yeah. <laughs> the, the, so the film, we mentioned AIP before, was under the production studio American International Pictures, which is known for its low-budget, double-feature films meant to entice the younger audience, and they operated on the ARCOF formula. That, is, uh, that stands for Action, Revolution, which means, like, controversial themes or ideas, killing, or just general violence, oratory, which is literally just taglines, you know what I mean, Um, fantasy fulfillment for audiences, and fornication, which is, of course, sex appeal, ARCOF. They also had a strategy called the Peter Pan Syndrome. I found this to be very interesting. This states that a younger child will watch anything that an older child will watch. An older child will not watch anything a younger child will watch. A girl will watch anything a boy will watch. A boy will not watch anything a girl will watch. Therefore, to get the most folks watching at once, one must zero in on the 19-year-old male.
1: Well, that, and it makes so much sense because part of Pam Greer and what Jack Hill immediately realized is that she had crossover appeal. That he said, Jack Hill said, my films with Pam Greer and a few others attracted a much wider audience. They called crossover audience, meaning that white audiences were interested in black characters and lifestyles and the result of that was ultimately the mainstream films picked it up and incorporated those characters and lifestyles into their films and black exploitation as a genre was no longer necessary even though i do think that th- this was an old interview and i think that maybe he thought that things were going to be better by this time period <laughs> but uh, unfortunately no, it's not
4: muffins. Changed.
0: so they want to make their female shaft essentially and they were going to do that with a film called cleopatra jones but they end up losing the rights to it and so they end up uh and this is that by they i mean aip and the execs there they end up approaching jack hill to make a film that would rival cleopatra jones and even beat it to market get it out first so hill ends up scrambling together this movie cast pam greer and quickly pulls together coffee coffee of course is a it's about a, uh, a woman named Flowerchild Coffin, uh, which is who is a nurse who seeks revenge against the mobsters and gangs that caused violence and mayhem in her town and were partly responsible for her sister's heroin addiction. Uh, Coffee ends up beating Cleopatra Jones in the box office, and Greer says she was able to tap into a guttural rage as an actor that translated beautifully on screen. And this came from her experience and and from working with uh, Jack. Apparently, Greer said Jack Hill had told me that I needed to reach into my gut, not my mind, to find the real emotion. I tapped into my intensity, and Roger was thrilled that I could bring so much organic frustration and anger to my performance. She said it came from, quote, being attacked as a child by a patriarchal society that said it was okay to slap your mom or push women around or berate them. You would see that in many families, and as a child, male or female, that abuse was just frightening. You feel it in your gut. You can't, and you can't say anything. That was the nature of the beast back in the fifties and the sixties.
1: And then mm-hmm. here comes Pam, motherfucking Greer, coming in because even during coffee. She did her own stunt work. Yeah. And that Mm -hmm. was part of the appeal of Pam Greer is that she came in, she had taken like a bunch of martial arts classes. She knew how to ride horses. So when she rode horses, she had weapons experience. And she had weapons experience. And so in Coffee, she did all of her own stunt work. And eventually they would introduce the first black, uh, black female stunt people as well, working with Pam Greer specifically. And one of the, Horses that she worked with in coffee was named Donatello, and he was a black stallion. And she knew that stallions are very dangerous. And she said, "There's not going to be any mares around, right? Because the stallion, if he smells a mare in heat, they'll run through fences, they'll jump into traffic, and then de just Blasio like Holden." Showed up and <laughs> oh, oh, just all right, like please. Holden. But so she <laughs> goes on to say. When she was on Donatello, she said a crew member popped a towel on the horse's flank to spook him and make him run. So the horse takes off and everybody's behind is following on horses. I thought for sure there were going to be people with broken necks. I tried to ride out his energy for at least 10 or 15 minutes because he had smelled a mare. Just to stay on, make sure he doesn't hit anybody or get killed himself. And I rode his energy out and rode him through Fellini's this set. through Andrew Cuomo? Until <laughs> and so while they were, I guess Fellini was shooting something nice. nearby. The and the so Italian uh, avant
0: garde director. Yes, f- so phenomenal. she rides a
1: horse through Fellini's set. That's and she said, I thought for sure they were going to deport me. I don't know if I ruined the shot or not, but they loved it. They thought it was funny. There I was running through on a wild horse with my leopard skin, my fro. <laughs> (laughs) And I'd run through the cardboard ocean liner Of (laughs) AmeriCorn If
0: anyone would appreciate that moment It would be Fellini He's like like, I'm living
1: the dream I created What ended up happening is that he was like He tried to immediately like Do you want to be in one of my movies And she's like I'm in the middle of like When I just signed like a five movie deal I I got
0: other things to do That's amazing Again like Elvira by the way Who ran ran into Fellini on the street And he put her in a movie Uh, But yeah so after that she appears in Foxy Brown, Shiva Baby and Friday Foster for AIP, all in that similar black exploitation vein. Here's my quote from Greer by the way about how she sort of feels like black exploitation became the genre once she got involved. It wasn't called black exploitation until I put my feet in the men's shoes. Men had done the same type of formulaic films before I did. It wasn't until I stepped in their shoes that they said, "Well, these movies are for a black audience." I was creating the market for films about women fighting back and using sexuality and they're trying to say it's like a black thing and it's not it's actually a sex thing yes. and a feminism thing in
1: fact she even said that she based coffee her, her character in coffee on her mother and Foxy Brown was based on her aunt she said my mom was a nurse always caring for the neighbors who couldn't get to the ER many of the nurses took care of people in the kitchen because I watched this long interview with her where she was talking about growing up in, you know, in the Jim Crow days where an ambulance wouldn't come to her neighborhood mm. so her mom also worked half of the time in her own house. She said, we'd come home and there'd be someone in the bathtub giving birth to a baby. And my aunt, she was a political radical. She wanted to ride motorcycles and she wanted to be a pirate. She wanted to be an architect. Because of inequality, she just couldn't do those things. And it was very frustrating for her. She had a fabulous Harley and she was in a club of people who had Harleys and people would say, get off that, you're a girl. It'll hurt your innards. Yeah, that's true. She comes in, she bashes open the door. And she's like, hands up, motherfucker. (laughs) Show the breasts! Here's some salad.
4: You know anyone who's been to medical school will tell you. That a woman's innards can be rattled very
1: easily. I mean, can't they, they explode the hymens? Yep. I think that that might be... A, I don't know anything about hymens, but I think that might be a fable. I do Horse riding and hymens? I can't... Uh, Horse I don't really, riding and hymens! <laughs> going down the track, get me a Bud
4: Light! I don't know any. if anybody out there lets a, can let us know if they had that experience, but I really don't understand the correlation, frankly, because... You're not getting penetrated when you're horse
1: riding. My pussy hurts on the saddle. <laughs> I mean my pussy does hurt on the saddle. Yes, it's it true. Does. It does. Uh <laughs> I don't know how to transition from that. Trans- go ahead.
4: Something speaking, man. Of, speaking, speaking of, of sore horses, pussy. speaking <laughs> of sore pussies,
0: something that Quentin Tarantino would later talk about in reference to Jackie Brown was that Pam Greer was one of a kind and didn't have a female equivalent in white cinema. Greer feels that she was making movies, like I said, for women fighting back using sexuality. She said, Gloria Steinem was talking about liberation. Get a job. Get your education. You don't need to be validated by a man or your uterus. So I was like, there's so much going on. Who am I I said I don't want to be in love I don't want to be married I need to get an Education I saw a lot of the personal Needs that are fundamental and that create Your happiness I chose happy Hell
1: yeah and I this She was asked was it difficult early In your career to have so much attention paid To how you looked and relatively Little paid to your mind She said that's human nature I've had boyfriends in the past who were appalled when I cut the grass. I was torn between how I was raised and how modern society wanted me to be dependent on a man. We have to have sex and I'll pay your rent and buy you a car and pay for your baby. And when you have stretch marks and you're not attractive anymore, I'll find a new wife. Snap. Fashion. Snap. Orgasms. Snap. Babies. These things are temporary intellect is forever. I want to. I want to marry Pam I No.
0: <laughs> she also though speaks towards how in it such a predatory industry that is Hollywood especially someone as beautiful as her that so many people would want to take advantage of. She speaks very fondly of her agent at APA John Gaines who also reps Steve Martin, John Candy, Tamara Dobson who played Cleopatra Jones and Isaac Hayes until his death in 1992. Greer said I called John my fairy godmother because the way he protected me and guided me. If you go to meet someone on a business deal, your lawyer, manager, agent someone must always be with you. John always set those rules for me and created a comfort zone. He just had seen so much, he knew. When he took me to clubs and someone would hand me a drink, he would say, don't drink that. See the sediment at the bottom? You drink that, you won't remember the next week. I became comfortable not accepting the imitations. Sammy Davis Jr. and even his wife uh, AltaVis invited me back and I declined.
1: The well, about story about Sammy Davis yeah, Jr. That's Jr. Coming later.
0: That's coming later, for sure. If I didn't have John, the agent, to go with me to the industry dinners or cocktail parties, I stayed away from them. I didn't really experience the sexual harassment you might think. I wonder if they saw my films and thought that I probably could beat them up. And, you know, I could (laughs) because I studied enough martial arts seriously that I probably could have really hurt someone. Uh, But also, you know, uh, this is so far so long before Weinstein, so long before Me Too, that she's speaking about how you can't just go meet up with. Someone in the business and and people heard these stories
1: back then and were like, yeah, I guess you can't. Right, rather than can we make a difference? Can we change
4: this? Just now starting to. Oh, just now. Yeah, that was 2021. That was always on the lady to Mm -hmm. avoid the situations, but that is also how her second rape happened when she was younger, because a guy refused to say take no for an answer about going on a date. She didn't want to go on a date with him, and finally she was like, okay, and then. Guess what? <laughs> he raped her and then she wasn't allowed to tell anybody about right. it because it would have fucking that was the time whenever she didn't want to tell her family because they would murder him and then yeah. they'd all go to jail or whatever. Um, yeah, so that's just like literally the last like five, six years been like, oh, maybe we should look outside of telling the lady to just
1: avoid all the rapists. The, the well, it's scary also men, unfortunately yeah. in the 70s too, she knew damn fucking well. That if a white man raped her, there's really nothing she can do about it. And isn't that? Fucking disgusting? Yes, it's the worst. Holden, I'm looking at I you. How do you. About it. God, no! I'm upset about it. God, strike me down if I'm not upset about it. Strike me down
0: if I'm not upset. Okay, He didn't do it,
3: so I'm upset about it.
0: I'm a good guy. You're
1: a good man. I'm a good you man. Are. You're you're a a fine man. man. You're very scared of women. It's, yep. uh, you're appropriately man. scared of women. I'm
0: okay. <laughs> all right <laughs> well speaking of uh difficult men or or maybe okay men or not okay men uh we have to talk about her romantic relationship with a couple of comedians because it's uh definitely I think a defining part of her story and then and then she's kind of through with men after this point but uh Heck yeah man first she's got uh Freddie Prince uh who uh she met while promoting coffee in nineteen seventy-three. They soon began dating, and that year he got his big break on the Tonight Show jo- starring Johnny Carson, at which he got the game changing couch invited. people don't know, mm-hmm. Johnny Carson invited you to the couch, it was like the Roman Coliseum. It was like the the Emperor Wasn't giving- it,
4: didn't we? It wasn't in Joan Rivers. Was Joan Rivers the one first female he called over? Yes. He got
0: called over, yeah. That was Joan the,
4: Rivers pop history episode if you'd yeah, like in, to go. Yeah. ended up
0: getting to guest guest host and all that good stuff. And then they ended up hating each other. But either way, uh Prince also had a tough time with depression and drug addiction. He soon became surrounded by an entourage and industry types that clearly were taking advantage of him, despite Greer trying to hook him up with her protective-ass awesome manager that clearly, like, had people's best interests in mind, based on at least what she says. And uh, she was actually ended up being one of the last people to talk to him before he ended his life. Greer said, his voice, there was so much sadness and disappointment. He was alone, almost ranting. Talking He was, about, in, a,
1: he was in a hotel room with a gun Yes, um, calling her before he committed suicide. Talking about what how he's lost he his suicide? house. Uh,
0: Seventy. It, it was, was
1: like, 76?
0: It was abrupt. He's, he doesn't know where his money no, is. He's got for, all these well, people and he can't make his own decisions and just was lost in this, in this depression and surrounded by the wrong people. 77, I'm,
4: 1977. Seven, okay, so, uh, sorry. I know that this is very very important, but I'm just like correlating it to his Freddie Prince jr. Because I grew yes. up in the nineties. So, yes. So it was right, right after he got the baby and the, the woman. I yeah. Guess. It
0: must've been. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's weird. Freddie Prince jr. Is definitely his son.
1: Yeah. And, yes. And
0: he and Pam grew had a relationship, but then they broke up. He got together with someone else, I believe, and then ended up just going a wall at a point. In yes. A hotel and room.
1: one thing she said that she did get from Freddie Prince, he said, Pam, you gotta do Broadway. You have so much potential. He gave me that. He shared that. He wasn't afraid of me doing that. It's really nice when your partner, your man, says, hey, I ain't afraid, baby. You being a star, go ahead, make more money. I support you. You find the gems in one another. It broke my heart to see his suicide because Freddie didn't have anybody to talk to and he didn't have peers and he was alone and by himself. And he reached out to me, but he had a gun. And I love myself more. I said, I'm not going there and have him shoot me. I took care of my family. I'm paying a lot of mortgages, putting people through college. I'd been given a purpose and I can't have him take my life. I wasn't taught that. So she was worried because he wanted her to come over to the hotel room and she didn't go. And this is part of what. I think that she probably has dealt with the guilt of not going I mean, over it was, there. it was the right decision. Though. Yeah, yes, for sure. Because you don't know. What if he had shot her?
0: Well, and she said time and time again, and we're about to get into this yet again with Richard Pryor, where it was like, there was only so much she could do. He was just surrounded by all these shitheads and, Blames a lot of it on like this kind of this industry and the men in this industry that, that can take a soul like that. Yes. Yeah, later she ends up dating Richard Pryor, of course, also battled hard with drugs. The they two- met,
1: yeah, they met uh, while they were both cast in Greased Lightning yes. in 1977.
0: Yeah, that's when they began their romantic relationship. Greer said, they didn't do the drugs around me. They were trying to change themselves to keep me in their lives, but I couldn't change them. I struggle with that, with letting go. When you love someone, you let them go, and they're not going to come back. With Richard, he said he did want to go cold turkey, and he liked the fact of going to Colorado and being pure. And I said, but
1: you're in a world of men. You're not going to listen to me. I knew that. It's crazy that, like, Pryor apparently confided in Greer, which, as someone that has battled addiction many times in my life, um, that he said, I'm afraid if I don't do drugs, I won't be funny.
3: Yeah,
1: And... It is it is a scare. Once you get into that addiction cycle, you worry that you could lose everything if you stop. And she helped him face his fears and try to clean up his act.
0: She helped him learn how to read. She helped
1: him learn how to read because she... yeah. Yeah, he had been learning the lines to his films phonetically before then because he didn't know how to read. And... Apparently, this is this is a, a, an interesting story. Yes. Infamously, Greer stated that her relationship with Pryor caused her to have a buildup of cocaine residue around her cervix and vagina. I thought you were going to tell
0: the story about the horse, not the, but the cocaine pussy oh, well, story. Oh, I am
1: talking about horse, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but a different <laughs> kind I mean, of I mean, horse. I mean, the cocaine pussy uh, story is also very the interesting. The cocaine pussy story, he said... <laughs> So she goes to the doctor and she says, Pam, I want to tell you about an epidemic that's prevalent in Beverly Hills right now. It's a buildup of it's a buildup of cocaine residue around the cervix and your vagina. You have it. Are you doing drugs? And Pam Greer said, no. And he said, well, it's really dangerous. Is your partner putting cocaine on his penis to (laughs) sustain his erection? Do you know where this is going, Natalie? (laughs) And she says, no, not that I know of. It's not like he has a pile of coke next to the bed and he dips his penis in it before we have sex. And then she said, I had a nauseating flash of one of Richard's famous lines. Even my dick has a cocaine Jones. And the doctor asked, are you sure he isn't in the bathroom before he comes to bed? And she said, That's a possibility. You know, I am dating Richard Pryor. <laughs> and he says, Oh my God, <laughs> we have a no. serious problem no. here. If he's not putting it on his skin directly, then it's worse. Because the coke is in his seminal fluid. Oh my God. The doctor then asked if her mouth went numb while performing oral sex on Pryor, which she that. says it did, she and which that. he links to the Novocaine like effects of cocaine. Yes. He was doing so, so much, much blow. So it much. was in his gooch, man. yeah. Natalie, and so it was inside of fast her those swimmers,
0: though. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. Probably, yeah, right? Fucking blast your... Fucking belly.
4: That's a.
1: that's not sauce. Does that get so she
0: not <laughs> <doesn't,
4: is> <laughs> sauce, get it? <laughs> so if it's going up in her cervix, is she not receiving the effects of cocaine from that?
0: Man, well, she did say her mouth went numb. Her mouth and went stuff numb, so I, so I imagine she bit.
4: probably I think have
0: got a little
1: coffee she's buzz. like, Man,
4: I feel great. Yeah.
1: <laughs> no, I think actually going up to it, the reason why she ended up going to the doctor is because like her pussy was losing sensation right. and she didn't uh, know why. Right. And it's because of all the blow. Oh, I right, also didn't get know, off of that put, <laughs> did you know that you could I put, did you know you could put blow on your dick I to not. keep it hard? hard? I, I literally have never done it. I,
0: uh, I don't
4: understand. Why would I do that? I guess that? cocaine does a no, lot do. more than I thought it yes. does. Yes. Well,
0: I knew about the numbing effect in that because that's, yeah, you know, they always yeah, put yeah, it they on they they their arms and they get it
1: No, I've never tried it.
0: Mom? <laughs> All right, guys, please. Your liar's voice. Well, at least is I didn't
1: do it enough that it was in my pussy. So
0: what I thought <laughs> she was going to talk about was this another amazing story with with Pryor where his uh, he had a little pony horse that she got him, I believe, yes. and it got attacked by dogs and then he was freaking out in his bathroom. He's like sobbing as he loved this horse and so she had to go drive his Jaguar, I believe it was. So it's mm-hmm. Pam Greer in the driver's seat. He's in a bathroom, in a robe, yellow Jaguar sobbing. with a horse in the back, horse <laughs> the back tail
4: out the window, oh, man. and they tra-
0: like apparently all the people came outside of the veterinary hospital just to see them pull God, up. God, I
4: wish I could have seen it because
0: it was such a wild scene. And but she also talked about how she was like, I knew in that moment like there was nothing I could do to fix him, like I couldn't be his yeah. keeper. And then uh, one day. After she did leave him, she gets a call from a mutual friend, and uh, Pam said, he says, Richard wants to talk to me, and I need to fly there. So yet again, he's in. she's in this situation. He may not live through the night, and I ended up saying, well, you know what, Jim? Richard did some things that disrespected me, and he always said, if you disrespect someone and they hang around, that means they have no self-esteem, and you can do nothing to them, Lie and st- anything to them, lie and steal. I said that if I came back to his bedside and back into his life, he's just going to have to get out of his bed alone walk by himself and find himself and I remember Jim saying wow that's cold Pam and I went yeah it is it is cold but maybe this tough love will help him to change I don't know and I remember going back to my apartment and just sobbing like why why it
1: gets to a point unfortunately a few days whenever yes you are surrounded by someone with addiction that you just can't help anymore and you do and it is all right to wash your hands of them
0: so a few days later Richard Pryor pours 151 proof rum all over himself and like. Himself on fire. Did you know about that? Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah I knew yeah, about yeah. that. Okay, like, remember dang, in I was hoping to make one of y'all go, yeah. What? No, don't
1: you remember in Scrooge? That's why yeah. they had the thing in Scrooge where he lit himself on fire. Yes.
0: Yeah. Greer said, Just as I couldn't change the attacks or the people who attacked me, I couldn't change Richard. I couldn't change Freddie or Kareem. And I realized it's not about changing other people. It's about changing myself. Mm -hmm. And that is what I want to tell people with this. That there will be pain in life, but you can survive it and it will make you stronger and protect you from other instances. I wanted to save their lives, but I had to save my
4: Yes, Pam. Yes, Pam. I
0: love it. She's so great with her words. She's so, so eloquent. That's why I've
1: watched so many interviews with her 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 because watching her speak is amazing.
4: When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions.
0: So now we can get past this fucking stupid ass men in her stupid ass life. Yes. And, yes. and get past this black exploitation phase in her career. By the 1980s, Greer was looking for more diverse roles and character parts, wanting to move past her certain typecast from the 70s. Greer said, they wanted me to continue, and I said, the story is over. There's so much more. There's Mary Fields, the first black female stagecoach driver from the mail route in Montana. I want to play her. The studio said, no one would believe there was a black female stagecoach driver, even though it's in the books. They said, Bond girls are more interesting and bikinis. The needs of Hollywood are different than what my needs are.
1: I love it. Apparently she went in for Octopussy, the James Bond Uh movie. She said, I remember the meeting for Octopussy. The role was like, I just walk around in a bikini. When I read (laughs) the script, I said, is that it? And I didn't mean to insult Cubby Broccoli and everybody who was there at MGM meeting me, but I said, you know, I'm bringing a huge audience, and they're going to want their money back. They're not going to find you. They're going to find me. So I'll pass.
0: So she ends up doing uh, *Fort Apache*, *The Bronx*, starring Paul Newman, about a hard-drinking veteran cop who works a crime-ridden precinct in the in the Bronx. Greer had a supporting role as a sex worker. She uh, she got to play a witch in the film produced by Disney Productions called *Something Wicked This Way Comes*. I completely
1: Comes. forgot about her performance in this movie, and that's she's her like a, really she's like a dust out.
0: witch. Yeah, I never saw it. It's great. Ooh. That's her getting more into that character stuff. And amazingly, in 1985, she makes her theater debut in Sam Shepard's Fool for Love* at the Los Angeles theater center and it was sold out for 9 months. She also did a production of August Wilson's The Piano Lesson in Denver. She is like legitimate motherfucking theater actor all through the 80s, yes. which is such a cool such a cool path for her. And mm-hmm. I think amazingly, I think it's so kismet. I feel like sets her up for her big big role in Tarantino's Jackie Brown. I think that that like, probably really honed her acting chops to, to get her to this prestigious level. Well, and that she, she was
1: studying, to, too. Yeah. She, again, like she was like working and, and taking acting classes and really w- trying to hone her craft. And she really did say that she started to feel confident in her performances when she started theater. She said, that in the early days, Sid Haig helped her a lot mm-hmm. and said, Pam, you're a natural. She said, sometimes I was just so strong I wouldn't be hired because I was so dang good and there was no audience for a black woman. But then with Fool for Love, she wasn't frustrated about getting these smaller parts at this point in time because she says, My work spoke for itself. There's no such thing as a small role. When I was doing the Sam Shepard play Fool for Love, it sold out for nine months. I love doing it and film directors would come and watch us and this is when she became up for the role in The Witches of Eastwood a little
0: bit of a crossover she almost had Cher's role she
1: almost had Cher's role and when she was asked why she didn't get it she didn't know she said I tested for it she said I think the studio was basically trying to make a deal with Bill Murray to star in it and they couldn't close it so the next person was Jack Nicholson who was dating Angelica Houston she was dark and exotic so they tested her and it didn't work out and then there was Cher and they gave her the role that was the one mainstream film that would have given me a broader audience but there's no bad feelings she said when people wouldn't she said when people wouldn't see me for a role it was a recognition of the power of the beauty in women of something that's so captivating it can be distracting against the work what a positive way of seeing such a huge disappointment I have a couple
0: more quotes that inspire me in terms of um, handling rejection in Hollywood and turning it into a positive I don't her. know it's why like you need
4: that, because everybody in this family and in this group <laughs> handles
1: Completely rejection really well. I'm not, yes. Fine. I'm never devastated. I never <laughs> hold myself up in a room for days crying by myself.
0: No. So she made a return to film uh, alongside the, ew, ew, disgusting, I hate him, Steven Seagal's detective partner Ugh. in the film Above the Law, in 1988. And she's regularly doing TV through the 80s and 90s. She's on Miami Vice, Martin, Night Court, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, just a great guest star for TV shows. She's also in
4: Jawbreaker.
0: Getting those steady, steady jobs, absolutely. Also in 1988, she is diagnosed with stage 4 cervical cancer and is told she has 18 months to live. However, through a lot of treatment, she has made a recovery and has been in remission ever since. Because at the time,
1: she was like, I was at the best... Shape of my life. I was running six miles a day. And to go in at such a young age. And be d- given such devastating news. I mean that's
4: hor- 18 months? Yes. Jesus. She had eight mo- 18
1: months to live. And she beat it. She put- it, But she had to drop- everything right. to go and deal with their cervical Well, and cancer. some say it
0: was also due to the bonding of a certain horse. That's right. One day she ran into a horse and she said, hi, what's your name? And the horse said, hi, my name's
1: Uncle Holden. Oh,
4: no. Wait, Austin. did this yeah. come from the cocaine? Did the
1: cervical <laughs> cancer come from, Seriously. I don't think, no, I don't think so. I nah, think that, I'm no, sure because I think that cocaine her, cocaine I believe she said really? that her aunt had died of the same thing. So. Oh, okay. Okay, okay. Aunt Jackie? It's just a little bit I'm of a coincidence. Coincidence.
4: <laughs> We talked about her cervix twice in yeah, the
0: story. Weird. So We're getting into the doc we'll we'll later. Well, let's talk about the big, amazing comeback. Well,
1: before we get to the big no! comeback, we have to remember <laughs> that she was in Mars Attacks. Oh,
0: yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I yeah, was yeah.
1: very upset you didn't include I Mars didn't, Attacks in I this. I even wrote
0: down don't include Mars <laughs> Attacks. You, uh,
1: no, she's in Mars Attacks. <laughs> if you go check out our Mars Attacks pop history episode, and In it, which I was watching this interview with her, um, I didn't realize, which we didn't even speak to in Mars Attacks episode, that her older son in it, because she plays that, like, no-nonsense bus driver, um, her older son in it is Ray J. Oh, yeah, that's right. In an interview, she was asked if she ever saw the infamous tape. And she was like, no, no, he was my son in a movie. I can't watch a tape. She's like, well, I may have watched a second of it. I think they were acting. I think they were acting. She's like, they weren't sweating. When you're doing the do, you be sweating, doing or else hell, you ain't doing it right. And that is such an <laughs> <love> amazing <laughs> line. If you're not sweating, when you're doing, doing the, do, the do, you ain't doing and it right. And she ain't right. talking about drinking Mountain Dew, I'll tell you that no, much. No, but about, please, now but we're talking.
4: Sex. But, oh yeah, That's just, my name. <laughs> <laughs> sex? Um, yeah. yeah no, I, also, I know you just, I mentioned it briefly, but she's in the movie Jawbreaker, which if you've never seen Jawbreaker... It's one of the best like teen exploitation horror movies. Oh also. yeah!
0: Uh, so here we go. This is the story as Greer tells it. Pam Greer tells it. I'm in a car driving in LA and my passenger is Warrington Hudlin. We're trying to develop some projects through HBO and we're stopped at a light on Hollywood Boulevard. I see this guy leaning over talking to this woman. I don't know if he was macking or talking to an old friend. Warrington says, hey, that's Quentin Tarantino. Rumor is he's writing something for you. He says, hey, Quentin, it's Warrington and I got Pam Greer in here. Quentin goes, oh, Pam Greer, oh my God. He comes over to me and says, I'm writing something for you based on Rum Punch, the Elmore Leonard book, and I'm going to send it to you as soon as I finished and I went yeah right sure and he said no no seriously seriously he's in tennis shoes shorts and a t-shirt wild hair and he's just filled with excitement he says you're badass you stand up for women you get up and you put your neck on the chopping block you know you really try to set examples show people what it's that it's okay to win it's okay to fight and I said wow okay I look forward to seeing the script But what I was really thinking was oh please let it be true Greer also goes on to say, six months later, I'm in New York, and I get noticed there's an envelope with insufficient postage where you get that sticker. Back <laughs> home in Colorado, they trust you and deliver the package, but in New York, they want that diamond nickel. So, it's from Tarantino, and it's Jackie Brown, and I'm speechless. My face, just, my face is just wet from crying. I'd done four years of theater and was so grateful because I was ready. I had never felt so observed by anyone in my life. He was... He has broken down every film I'd ever done.
1: I just, I love it so much, but when she first read the script, she thought that the part that Bridget Fonda plays was written for her. Yes. She didn't realize he wrote the Jackie (laughs) Brown, like Jackie Brown, the character for her. So she read it and was like, oh, this is really great. I'll totally do this. He's like, no, no, no. I want you to be Jackie Brown. And that blew her. He's like, you wrote the whole movie for me?
4: (laughs) I mean, it makes sense. He is very openly influenced by those exploitation movies. And he even, she
0: showed up for the audition and there were a ton of her movie posters all over the walls. And she was like, Oh, right. You just put all these up for me. Right. And he was like, actually, I considered taking them all down because I was embarrassed
4: that you were coming. (laughs) (laughs) coming. I'd feel real weird. If I walked in, it was just posters of me everywhere.
0: (laughs) Just such a, but then you'd also be like, if I don't get this fucking (laughs) part, I'm going to burn down a fucking studio building. Uh, uh, so, yeah, Greer said about shooting with Quentin Tarantino, you are liberated. You were just free to fill up the scene. We rehearsed two weeks to prepare ourselves for this style, for his style, prepare ourselves for his craft, and we would collaborate, all of us together. It was extraordinary. How he works with you and makes it so that your heart is beating through your chest, that's what he does to you when you work with him. Man. <sighs> and he Pam- does.
4: I, I, know, I know, again, he has really controversial. There's People have a lot of sure. talks about him, but... Some of his, like, some of the female characters he makes are the best female characters, Beatrice's in my opinion.
0: and yeah, yeah. And Even, I, mean, yeah. I mean, Death
4: Proof, too, I know is not one of his, like, most favorite, but.
0: Awesome stunts. I digress. Either way, check out two-parter on Quentin Tarantino over in The Wiz and the Bruiser in. if you want to know more about his career. We're going to focus just more on Pam I um, know, I, just,
1: I know. It makes me sad, though, that, <laughs> that she did know, that, and just, things just haven't changed fast enough, and I hate. That it still is the way that it is. That really she really said, depressing. For Jackie Brown, I had the best PR person who taught me everything. She said, Pam, the reality is you're a black woman. You're not going to be on the magazine covers. You're not going to sell to the masses. You're not going to appeal to the little farm girl in Idaho. So I'm not going to make you pay me just for the rejections. Ugh. She said, it's like in martial arts. You don't keep hitting your head on the wall trying to move it. You don't keep getting angry saying, you don't accept blacks, you don't do this, you don't do that, you don't have black television shows. You know, I leave that to Al Sharpton. And it sucks that she knew, she could see what she could get done and understood that she couldn't push for much more. But what she did do is lay the groundwork for Mm -hmm. people to keep fighting. And I think that she knew that Unfortunately, our country needed that.
4: But she Still, did it. She did it in, in my opinion, one of the best ways, which is it's important to yell and scream and fight. But her doing it in a way that's like this is sugar on the medicine. I'm just going to give you something you really like. And then you go, oh,
1: I guess I like black people are cool. I too. wish there were more. <laughs> I wish there was more of this. And this is around the time period that she um, moves to Denver full time. She buys a huge farm. Near the site of the Sand Creek massacre, where 500 Cheyenne women and babies were slaughtered by the cavalry for their land, in an effort to promote awareness about clean eating, she opened the Pam Greer Community Garden and Education Center in Fort Worth, Texas. Greer strongly believes many diseases are preventable through healthy eating practices, and she wants to help make organic foods accessible for every budget. Now she goes on to talk about like being a an owner and a and the sole worker of her own farm, and
4: she's so cool that. Many
1: Many people in Colorado were like, you're one of the first black people I've ever met and we love you. And she loved being that like she's like as much as like I feel like people would get upset about those comments. Like I loved it. And part of her life starting then and still to this day is rehabilitating horses. And she founded the Tame Foundation which stands for Therapy Animals Mean Equality, providing horses, blazers, and boots for the charity horse riding program for disabled children. She said, I've been given so much. I'm a cancer survivor. I have success at work, belief in self, and a supportive audience. So she lends her horses to the program and even buys the kids all of their outfits as well. Um, She even bought an extra car to drive kids to events. She says, horses can really calm the anxiety. I'll pick up the children and take them home because I know how overwhelming it can be for families with children who have special needs. But the kids don't want to be called disabled. They schooled me on that. They want to be called different-abled. And it's just, what an amazing, she works so, I mean, she also, Works with Pilots and Paws, which is an animal advocate program that transports dogs from kill shelters and fosters to uh, permanent homes. She also works with Dining Out for Life, which helps those with HIV and AIDS by enlisting 6,000 restaurants in 60 cities to donate profits one day a year. It raises between 4 million and 5 million annually. She's also involved with PALS, which is People and Animals Living Synergetically, a Colorado based (laughs) organization that partners on Wanted Animals with Forever. I wonder if that's oh. why. You know what I woke up
0: with in my head this morning? Maybe this is why.
1: Goodbye,
0: horses. Get out
4: of here. Oh. I was like, why is this fucking I'll, I'll song in my you, head? I'll put you. I well, lotion on in it. I tu- of the Lambs, the dog was treated
1: the best of me I tucked bodies. my
0: penis between my legs, and I danced the dance of the night. Uh, either way, in the morning. By the way, no less. Either and before way, Before
1: her memoir, she ends up. She received her honorary doctorate of humane letters from the University of Maryland Eastern Shore. The same year, she received an honorary doctorate of science from Langston University. Also, you've got all that, all those roles she did after Jackie
0: Brown, uh, notably Showtime's The L Word as Kit Porter. Can we talk
1: about the L Word just? For a second
0: please uh and real quick also the hit series smallville as the villain amanda waller i mean she she kept working mm-hmm. at, uh, she was Spr- working the Brahman. entire time so yeah let's talk about the l word a little bit uh jackie i know my wife is a massive uh was a massive l word love fan. the l
1: word absolutely love the l word and it also created a lot of conversation because a lot of people uh and specifically she talks about Black women were scared of or some of the black women that she had talked to that had been in ties with possibly being an L word were scared of committing to something that is seen as upsetting, especially as she not a homosexual. So mm. the question was, I know you got a great deal of feedback from viewers during your time on the L word. Was there a common thread that stood out to you? She says, well, the common thread was from a certain community, the African-American community, asking why I would want to be in a show about lesbians. And I said, oh, well, it's a community and it's well-written. It's just about people. And they would be like, are you afraid people are going to think you're a lesbian? And I'm like, is that fear? I should be afraid that people might think I'm a lesbian. You should really ask yourself, why would I be afraid? Why do I have a fear? It's not like you can put on a shirt and then you would suddenly be a lesbian. But I said, I need to know about other people, other communities, other cultures. If I had a gay child, I'd want to help them, guide them. And I'd want them to be the best person they could be. Because life isn't going to be easy. It could be, I don't know, we'll have to navigate. And I also have many friends that are gay. I have to know how they feel. They're just people. It's you guys who are the fear mongers, the ones who create the distinction. Everyone else is comfortable. And I think it's a very interesting because in it, she it plays like the sister of a lesbian. And that's why everyone just seemed like, oh, aren't you so scared of being a part of this uh, of this show? It was such a good show. Yeah. She's so good at every what? What an amazing! I mean, I'm not going to get into. I love the fucking. Episode.
0: We to do an L word episode. Uh, I would someday. love to
1: do. Oh, cool! Yeah, an episode on yeah. the L word.
0: Hell yeah! Uh, so yeah, continue to act, 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 and uh, also in 2010, she wrote her memoir, Foxy: My Life in Three Acts, and based on this, in 2018, she announced a biopic, and that's in the works, uh, and it's totally based on the memoir. And Greer said, "All I wanted to do was show how I survived in my family as a woman. Yes, I was raped at six, and I didn't curl up and die. Then it happened again at 18. It was a horrible attack. So I wanted to let women know: you might be raped once or twice. I don't wish it on anybody, but I'm okay. That was the greatest gift I could give back to people who followed me in movies because my story may not be told in movies because I'm not quote box office." White women are box office.
1: But, then, yeah, I love it. but but then she's also still doing movies like Bad Grandmas and Palms, which she gets a lot of flack for. She said she's always wanted to play a badass grandmother because those types of women run in her family. She said, and I brought this up earlier, my grandma and great grandma were from... The Black West, the Underground Railroad. They settled in Wyoming where all the women were hunting and shooting. They were black Annie Oakleys, black Calamity Janes. My great-grandma was sassy. She had money and didn't need a man. And this is what she's trying to now represent as she has grown So She's not trying to hide and she's openly she doesn't use Botox. She loves that she's gained weight because it gives her more of a a spectrum of characters that she's able to play now. And I love that she again, she sees these things that a lot of our society tells us are supposed to be negative like gaining weight or getting older and she embraces them and she sees it in such a positive perspective. What a beautiful way to live. She said. She says, I, like might be my favorite person ever. Yes. And also, which Holden, Aww. she's a big gamer. Oh shit. So she isn't, I don't know if you play, I don't know anything about Call of Duty, but I guess she yeah, play has- a little,
0: call, call, play a little COD. She has a character play in a it. a little she's,
1: Warzone. She describes her character. Um, she's a sister in it. She <laughs> said, "Red beans and rice. Don't miss her. She's a force, and she has wisdom, and she's a sensei." And uh, the the person <laughs> asked, "What kind of gaming do you usually do?" Because I guess she is a known gamer. Gaming human, yes. Game is that what they call yes, them? Game, gaming a game, human, a
0: gamester, I believe is what.
1: They're... She said, "I started with Atari. Before then, chess. That's how I started playing oh, well, games yeah. because oh, yeah. I loved checkers, chess back in the day. When it became a electronic, Atari was the first one, of course." I had a hissy fit. Then they made a Game Boy and they didn't make a game, girl. You know I was upset. I raised the roof. I even called them up. You know what it is? Do you know who this is? And they asked Did you really call Nintendo? I did. (laughs) She said, when the Wii came out, you couldn't get it. I got one in Vancouver and gave one to all of my castmates in the L word. In my motor home, when they couldn't find me on set, they'd say, that damn Wii, we're going to take it away from her. (laughs) I was playing everything. I have a PlayStation 1, 2, 3, 4. I have so many. It's like, can I keep up with this? I play with my nephews when it's cold and snowing. We play Call of Duty and Grand Theft Auto. I was in Grand Theft Auto V. (laughs) Yes, five, she, five, she <laughs> no, it's me, Holden, as Mama G. She said, I love Tomb Raider because I want to be her. Hell yeah. Yes. Damn it, at least I can play the game. I'm fascinated by the illustrations, the art. The art direction is amazing. The explosions and the movement, it's just... I just like to look at the set design, and I just love how she looks at this. She's also huge into pinball machines. Nice. She has a bunch of pinball machines in her house on her farm. I really well. me want
0: to go to her place, right?
1: right? So, Can we hang out with you, oh, Pam Graham? Please? please, please, we be your friends.
0: So I have a couple more quotes to round out on my end. Uh, I do
1: want to talk about the possibility of what her the screenplay that she's working sure. on right now, because she would like to. Uh, feature a female director of the movie. It's called Pam. It's called Pam. And so she tweeted a pitch towards Ava DuVernay, uh, the Oscar-nominated director of 13th. And she, she just tweeted at her a quick pitch that was like, her Twitter fantasy, it was a 70s woman puts herself before a man's fame and fortune and focuses on finding her own agency and self-empowerment in a patriarchal society. The soundtrack would be anachronistic, but there would ideally be music from. Missy Elliott, Alicia Keys, yes, and of course yes. Cardi B. Of course, yes. there would also be a scene in which real life friends Greer and Cleopatra Jones, Tamara Dobson, would strut down rodeo to skin tight by the Ohio players. Awesome. She wants Teresia P. Henson to play her mother, and she's she's already set Jay Farrow to play Richard Pryor.
0: Super cool. I'm all about it. I hope it. I hope it does get made. Maybe COVID slowed things down. Hopefully I it's hope because this wasn't. There was big
1: up. talks in 2018, 2018 but this so. is. Uh,
0: but the movie business. It can take it space. takes a while speaking of the movie business i love this quote about hollywood rejection when people wouldn't see me for a role it was a recognition of the power of the beauty in women of something that's so captivating it can be distracting against the work so that's just such a great way to look at damn she's at, so uh, not positive getting cast. and powerful uh, and then this is my final quote personally to wrap things up uh uh, uh jackie i don't know if you have anything else on 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 all ol- Pam Greer, Natalie, any final words? But I will just say, my my final say is from uh, Pam Greer herself. It took that 70s explosion so that now we feel comfortable enjoying each other's culture. This could go on. The reality of people being much more open and free. The harmony of the human song is going to be what people listen to.
1: The soul is going to win. Hell yeah. And she also does frequently talk about how she's not afraid of dying. She says a lot of people are afraid of death. If people own it, like, I feel good, you can survive cancer, divorces, death, your mother's sickness, hospice care. You feel pretty good. I think that's a glow from the inside. If you show that, I don't think anybody cares what your age is. You bring the work and passion. That's what people respond to. If you're like, oh, I am afraid, then people will notice that you have a fear of being rejected. And that, I, in... I'm so happy that we've learned so much about Pam Greer because it really did change my perspective on not only my career, but how I live my life. That she's undergone so much trauma and so many different hardships. She's still smiling and she runs her farm and she's doing it. She's born in 49. Mm-hmm. She's and she's killing it, man.
0: I learned that I'd like to be a horse named Uncle Holden.
1: I love it. I okay, Uncle Horsen. Horses, <laughs> wow, Uncle. Go fuck I yourself that that what it I didn't is mean be. to say it, but I'm great. Na- <laughs> and Natalie, what did
0: you learn today? Damn it.
4: Oh, uh, just. <laughs> to live and be <laughs> and free. Laugh and to love uh, no, and to eat and to pray yes and all of that um <laughs> and find yourself in rome um but no i think she is uh such a good role model just in general yeah. Uh just a great role model in the most fun awesome way it's not like i was just ta- talking about you know she's like the sugar with the medicine i that's i think how you get things to move in the world. And I think she is literally like... She serves medicine, but it's, like, the sweetest medicine. And, like, medicine, you're like, yeah, give me more. Give me more. And just a great, in, you know, in, inspiration for any of us. And uh, we learned a
0: lot about dick cocaine. So, either yep. way. Man alive, <laughs> did we. Um, all right. I think that's our episode on PM Greer. Thank you so much for joining us. If you'd like to uh, support us further, patreon.com forward slash page seven podcast uh, is a good way to do it. Also, check me out on Twitch, twitch.tv forward slash holdenatorsho. Jackie and I do a fun stream on Fridays.
1: I have it's smiled awesome. before while doing that stream. Oh my god. And my name is Jackie Zabrowski. You can follow me on Instagram at <laughs> jack that worm.
4: Uh, I am Natalie Jean and you can follow me at the Natty Jean and my new show with Amber Nelson someplace underneath is officially coming out on March 17th and uh, you should listen to it if you like Traumas. Take yeah. it from um, take it from me, Uncle Holden. It's a good listen now. Yeah, he's our he's our spokesmodel. I hate <laughs> Uncle Horston.
1: Please refer to yourself as Uncle Horston. All right. <laughs> Never mind. I take it back. We love you guys. Thanks Bye. so much for joining us. We'll see you soon. Bye, everybody. Bye. This show is made possible by listeners like you.
0: Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one
1: you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Some
4: place underneath. Neith is a planet gone missing into time, a moon believed to be in the orbit around Venus. The moon was named Neith after an early Egyptian goddess who, according to the lore, is the birth mother of the universe. Astronomers spotted Neith 30 times since it was discovered, but it went missing and it has not been seen since the late 1700s. Where did it go? go? Poor women. Trans women. Women of color. Women in fringe religions. What do they all have in common with this ancient missing moon? They go missing. A lot. 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 I'm Natalie Jean, and I'm joined by Amber Nelson every week to look into a case where we answer the age-old question, where them hoes at? at? Let's talk about it and see how we can help. Someplace underneath, a show about the missing... Missing from home, missing from justice, missing from the conversation. Plus, there are dick jokes. Listen wherever you get your pods.
2: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time.